I do want to just acknowledge two extremely close and good friends for many years. When we talk of mentors, if you don't have a mentor or someone that you look up to that has helped you in your journey of life, you are missing out on a blessing. And Jackie and Mary Ann Manzo are, have been two of those people in my life that have mentored me and helped me and cried with me and laughed with me and laughed at me. And um, Marianne, you're going to hear from tomorrow, and I'm so honored that she's here. Jackie, we heard from a few years ago, and we're just honored to have my friends here. And I'm honored to have you here entrusting us with your time. I know you're busy and you work, and many of you took time off from work to be here, and so I honor that and I respect that and I take that very seriously. And so I want to share with you a word that God has given me. I will say I had a completely different message ready that I felt was from God, and I prayed and struggled and sought the Lord, and I finally emailed Marianne and I said, Jesus has told me I have to do something else to me was this story of the woman with the issue of blood. I have ministered on her before, but there is something that we need to see in this message this year for us. Maybe you've heard messages on her before and you know the story and maybe some of you don't, but tonight we want to focus in on her desperation. And I want to pose a question to you tonight, how desperate are you? How desperate are you for what God has for you, for what God has promised you that you're still not seeing? And I want to give a little disclaimer and say to you that are here and that are watching, I'm in the same boat. God has answered many prayers for me, and I'm still waiting for some prayers to be answered. And I've learned to battle through praise and worship. Because the battle is really God's anyway. And we have to learn how to trust him with that battle. Exodus 14, 14 says, be still. The battle's God's. He's going to fight it. He just wants us to just chill. And I know that's not always easy. I get that. Please do not think I stand here having a perfect life with no issue, no anxiety, no trial, no struggle, everything just runs smoothly. I would be a robot if I was like that. So we're in this together. What I'm gonna share with you tonight, I'm asking myself the same question. Lisa, how desperate are you? So we wanna, I heard of a videotape used to train lifeguards on how to recognize when someone is drowning. We often think that a person who is drowning will thrash about in the water and yell, help, help, I'm drowning. In reality, they almost become paralyzed by fear and incapable of calling for help. The video illustrated how this works. It showed a young girl of about 10 years old sitting on a flotation in the deep end of a wave pool surrounded by children and adults. When the girl adjusted herself on the tube, she fell off and slipped to the bottom of the pool where the water was right at the top of her head. There was no thrashing about, and she couldn't yell for help. Instead, suddenly, her hands came just above the surface as if she was trying to reach for something. 
Thankfully, a lifeguard spotted her and within a few seconds had a flotation device under her. The most remarkable thing was that the people around her were oblivious to the fact that she was drowning. And I think there are some of us here tonight that feel like, does anybody even know that I am drowning? Does anybody even know that I'm suffering? Does anybody even pay attention that I can't take one more day of this frustration and of this disappointment? Do we feel like that sometimes? Hello, does anybody notice me? And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is that lifeguard. Because if, if you're a good lifeguard, you're constantly doing this. You're watching. You know, if you go to the beach, which we do, the beach is our happy place, and we're watching, right? The and we look at the lifeguard, and he's, he's just looking back and forth. Well, the cool thing about God is he doesn't have to do this. His eye is just on us. Every single one of us at the same time. We don't get it, but it's the truth. His eye is on us. And so Jesus wants to be our lifeguard when all we feel like is we can't even scream. Sometimes when we want to pray, we can't even pray. Do I have any sisters that can, rec that can, that can attest to that? Right? You, you don't even have the words to pray. But God is there. And I want to look at this woman with the issue of blood tonight. Let's look at Luke 8, verses 40 to 48. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the end of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the, Peter are the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Verse 42 says the crowd pressed so close to Jesus, almost crushing him, pressing him, crowding him. Where, where, the, the, where the verb pressed is used right here, Luke, the same verb is used earlier in the chapter, talking about the thorns crushing out wheat. This was a crushing of people around him pushing him, maybe even shoving him. There was just a sea of people around him. But there was a woman that touched him. And what I thought about this was, is that my earring knocking this when I move? What I thought about this was, all the people were touching him because they were pressing against him. They were touching him, a lot of people, but they weren't touching him. They weren't touching him in faith. They weren't touching him to ask for something. They were crowding him. This woman touched him. 
And nothing, I love this, nothing goes unnoticed by Christ. Nothing in your life right now that you're going through, that you are experiencing, nothing in any one of your lives is going unnoticed by Christ. He's just waiting for you to touch him, to deliberately engage your faith and touch him. I found it very interesting too in this passage, there are two examples right here of people that fell at the feet of Jesus. Jairus, he came and fell at his feet and told Jesus about his daughter that was dying. And here's the woman with the issue of blood. She is at the feet of Jesus. They don't need to be up in his face. They don't need to be in front of people. They're, at their, they're on their knees. They're, 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 they're humble. And I thought about that. I thought, it's so hard sometimes to get people to even come to an altar and to, to submit to the Lord and to surrender to God and to give him our burdens. Good grief, he wants our burdens. He's asking us to give them. And sometimes it's so hard, but look at these two examples. They were humble enough, they didn't care what people thought. They did not care what people thought. Jairus was a synagogue leader. He could have just marched straight up to Jesus and said, I am a synagogue leader. No, he fell at the feet of Jesus and said, please, my daughter needs to be healed. This woman, she pressed through a crowd, and I love this painting, but almost too beautiful. Because you know what? I don't think the woman looked quite like that. And maybe on the outside, most of us might look like that, but on the inside, we're suffering and we're bleeding and we're dying and we're dealing with disappointment and emotional scarring and, and, and all of this stuff on the inside. But all we need to do, she's, she's touching this, just, just the edge of his garment. Just, just, she knew if I just touch this, if I can just touch just that, that was the faith. That was the faith that she had. I don't want to cover the picture. Pressing through that crowd. And here's some other individuals in the Bible, and there are more than this, but these are just four. Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, or Zach. He was so short, he wanted to see Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're short tonight, don't get offended that I'm using the word short. But he was short. And he wanted to see Jesus. And so he climbed a tree. Now, really, there are some men here. That's, not, that's kind of embarrassing. A guy's going to climb a tree. He didn't care. He wanted to climb a tree and see Jesus. He was humble. He knew Jesus was coming, and he scrambled up that tree to see him. That's in Luke 19. Jacob, in Genesis 32, he wrestled with that angel of the Lord, and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. He said that. He was desperate. These are desperate people. Sometimes we do. We come to the altar, and we kneel down, and we pray, and then someone comes to pray for us, and then we get up and we leave. Like, what is that? You know, there's this old-fashioned word we used to use, tarrying. Tarrying at the altar, just waiting. Okay, somebody lays hands on you and prays for you. Just wait. See what else God wants to say to you. Say, God, I am not going to let you go until you bless me. Now, that doesn't mean... You get up from the altar and life is perfect. But God changes me. He changes you when we take that time and make an altar at home or we come to the altar here. We make an altar in our chair. That surrender, that desperation, that need to touch Jesus. We need that desperation. 
I love this man, the, the man that was paralyzed. And he had some good friends, man. I know you guys would do this for me if I needed it. They cut a hole in the roof of the place where Jesus was. Like, I mean, like imagine on a Sunday morning and your pastor looks up and you're like, um, there's somebody coming through the ceiling. Oh no, what's that gonna cost to repair it, you know? Like, what's happening right now? Get the ushers, yeah, like, you know, what's happening? But those friends, those are good friends to have. They were so desperate for their paralyzed friend to be healed that they, that they, they didn't care. They made a hole and put him down and Jesus wasn't all traumatized. Jesus didn't say, oh my gosh, this is totally like wrong. What, what are the people that own this house gonna think? They're never gonna invite me back to preach again, right? No, he was like, hmm, let me heal the guy because he saw their faith, he saw their desperation. David in the Psalms, not too, you can't turn too many pages in the Psalms that you don't see David crying out out of desperation. Get in the word, you'll see there are people that are desperate. We need to have that desperation. An American journalist named Terry Anderson was taken hostage in 1985 by Lebanese rebels and held for almost seven years. During that time, he lived in isolation, never able to see his wife and children, constantly threatened and deprived of the most basic needs. But he said this, when we come closest to God, at, we come closest to God at our lowest moments. It's easier to hear God when you are stripped of pride and arrogance. Nobody likes to be stripped of those things, but this is where we are desperate. When you have nothing to rely on except God, it's pretty painful to get to that point, but when you do, God is there every single time. We just have to open our ears and our eyes. I'm pointing to the wrong part of my head, my ears, my whatever it is. Just like open it all up and just say, Lord, let me see you. Right? We just, we just have to be open and, and God will speak. He will direct Verse 42 and the latter part says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Okay, so if you wanna talk about desperate, this is desperate. Spent all her money going to doctors. This is her lowest moment. Her suffering caused her to be stripped of everything except her faith. When you're stripped of everything, but you still hold on to your faith, you are ripe for a miracle. Amen. Don't lose your faith, friends. Hang on to it. The devil is a doggone liar, and he just lies and lies and lies, and God will give you the victory. I experienced something in the past week. I felt such a victory, and then something happened, and I'm like, what just happened? And I, and I said to Tara, right? I said this to you. The devil's a liar, and he's not having my victory. I still have the victory, even though with my eyes, I don't see it right now. But in my heart, devil, you cannot have the victory. I still have the victory, because I'm the winner in Christ. The devil's the loser, we are the winners in Christ. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't go to the assemblies. She couldn't go to the ceremonies. She couldn't go to the Passover. She couldn't go to Sabbath services. She couldn't go to anything. She was cut off from God. The physical sickness was bad, but I think that isolation and that spiritual death that she was feeling was worse. 
And I started thinking about the isolation that, that, that we've been through this year, especially at the beginning. You've got to stay home. You've got to stay in. You can't see people. You can only see two people and all of the things. And, and we've respected those things. And there's been a play, time and a place for these, those things. We as a church have honored those mandates, but we have had church. We have had staff. Our church has run. If we couldn't have our soup kitchen inside, Pastor Maureen's lining up the groceries outside, and we're doing drive-through groceries. You know, like, it's like Stop and Shop charges you to do that. We don't. You just come here, and you get free. And we, week after week after week, we modified how we did ministry, but we kept doing ministry. But many people were in isolation. Many people, many of you here as moms, you had your young children home day after day after day. You're like, please send that long yellow school bus. And it wasn't coming. You'd look out the window. Is today the day the school bus is coming? And it didn't come. You had those kids home again all day. And that's something we're not used to. We're used to school, and it was difficult, and it's been difficult for teachers, having to do online and Zoom. It's been hard for nurses and doctors and everybody that worked. It's been hard for churches and pastors, but God has been faithful, and we're here tonight. And so whatever kind of isolation maybe you're coming out of, you got to, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to sing a secular song to you tonight, but there is a song, I can't remember who it's by, maybe Donna Summer, I don't know, and she says, I'm coming out. Diana Ross, thank you. I'm a little too old, uh, young, old, young to know who that was. And so we're coming out of isolation. And here's this woman, she's sick and tired of being isolated. She wanted to see Jesus. And she knew if I only can touch the tassel of his garment, I will be healed. 12 years since she could stand before the high priest. I'm sure she felt like a failure as a wife. I'm sure she felt like a failure as a mother. I'm sure she felt like a failure as a friend. 12 years of emotional and psychological baggage. 12 years is a long time. This is what 12 years is. That you were un she was unclean and untouchable for 4,380 days. For 144 months. 624 weeks. 105,192 hours. I wonder if that's 105 million hours. Someone do the math and let me know because this head ain't going to do math in the head. 12 years, whatever that is for hours. Thank you. It's a really long time. I'm like, I don't know. We don't know how old she was, but she was definitely old enough to have had a life before this bleeding began. She's had enough. Have you had enough? Have you had enough? You know, there comes a time when we need to do that neck thing. Not really good at it. The attitude, right? I've had enough. I am so done with this. That's, we got to have an attitude, man. We've got to say, I am desperate. I don't want to stay here anymore. I don't want to live in this baggage anymore. I don't want to live in the past anymore. I don't want to be emotionally bound anymore. I don't want to be sick anymore. I want to be free. Jesus has freedom for us. We know he does, and we experience it. But he wants us to live in freedom, not just seasons. And I'm not saying when seasons come, there, there isn't a time where we do kind of just maybe buckle and go to that 
place of anxiety and, and, and get in those places. I get it. I, I have experienced anxiety. I have experienced panic attack. Last few years of some things that I've been through physically, I get with that. And you can't just like, okay, I'm not going to feel anxious anymore. It doesn't work that way. You beg God, God, why am I feeling like this? But we need to get desperate and take those things to God and say, I do not want to be like this anymore, God. Change me. Change me in your presence. She had so many, I'm not going to take, take the time to read them, I had them here, so many different uh, concoctions of things that they, that they would have that written in the Talmud for her to be able to do. Actually, I'm going to read one of them because I find it fight, fight, kind of humorous. Two other things in this one. If this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways, this, is, this, was, to heal, this was to heal a woman with an issue of blood. Set her in a place where two ways meet. Let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let someone come up from behind her and frighten her and say, arise from thy flux. <laughs> so maybe the next time you have a headache or something, just tell somebody to come up behind you and like, start on you. And like, these were the things and the doctors, and the, and, the, and the things, and all this whatever, herbs and stuff, and she was like, I am so sick of this. It can't even get scared out of me. I need to go to Jesus, and we need to get to Jesus tonight. We're going to get to Jesus tonight, and we're going to get back to Jesus again tomorrow, and then when the conference is over, you're going to keep sticking with Jesus. No matter what comes your way, we're going to stick with Jesus. The Bible doesn't really say too much else about her, but I think she was just like us. Who and what are you? That's her. What are the things that weigh you down? That's her. What are the things that cause you to feel hopeless and destitute? That's her. What are the things in your life that want to make you give up right now? There might be somebody in this room, in this room right now, somebody watching right now. I'm done. I'm done with God. I'm done with the Bible. I'm done with his promises. I'm done with serving him. Nothing's going my way. Nothing's changing. And I'm done. That's her. But she knew she had to get to Jesus. She was daring. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. A daring faith welled up within her. A daring faith that said, I must get to Jesus. A daring faith that causes her and needs to cause us to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Whatever it takes. I was thinking about her in, in, in this condition. Thinking about what, what she must have felt like. How tired she must have been. For 12 years, her body was losing blood which meant she was losing iron constantly. Anemic, tired, sick, irritable, desperate, but daring. Sometimes we think, well, you don't know what I'm going through. It's so difficult. Anemic, tired, sick, irritable, desperate. Failure as a wife, failure as a mother, failure as a friend, that's what she felt like. So whatever you think and I think is so bad, just think about this woman, what she was going through and the desperation that she had. And despite that, even we know how we feel. When we don't feel too good, we don't feel like going anywhere, let alone going anywhere in a crowd, let alone getting down on our hands and knees like an animal, 
going through a crowd of people with smelly, dirty, filthy feet and whatever else was along the road from animals that just move along and go to the bathroom and it just stays there. I get disgusted when I see somebody in my neighborhood let their dog go on my lawn. Gets me all bent out of shape. Imagine she's on her hands and knees on this dirty, dusty, filthy road. No, it really does. It gets me, really. If you have dogs, please don't let them go on other people's lawns. Seriously. So all dirt and manure and whatever, just stuff. But she didn't care. As sick as she felt, that didn't bother her. She wanted to get down there. She was daring. Most of us would have stopped short when we saw sight of the crowd. We don't like crowds. Some people don't like crowds. No, there's too many people. I'm not going. She didn't care. Have you had enough? Have you had enough of what the devil is dishing you? Of what people are dishing you? Of what you're dishing yourself? We're pretty good at dishing it up, loading the food on our own plate, right? Putting our food on the plate, putting our baggage on the plate, rehearsing the baggage, complaining about the baggage. We got to give the baggage to Jesus. There is a time and a place to talk. We need to communicate. I think that's another problem in, in society and Christianity today. People feel muzzled. I know, like literally with a mask, we feel muzzled. But I'm talking like even communicating. You have things that you need to talk about. Go to a trusted person and talk about them. Don't go to the people at the water cooler. And if you're a woman, don't go to another guy. That's just a little PS. You go to a trusted, godly woman in your life a woman of integrity that you can trust, that can walk you through and journey with you through the pain and the baggage and the, and the heartache and the emotions and all the stuff that we need help figuring it out. We do. We need that. We all need it. I've needed it. We all need it. And if you don't think you do, then you're living in denial. We all need that. But we've got to be daring enough to get out of our comfort zone and step out in faith, believing that if we touch him, he will touch us. She knew the danger. In verse 45, Jesus said, who touched me? Notice he did not say, who bumped me? Who shoved me? Who pushed me? Who almost knocked me over? He said, who touched me? Who touched me? Jesus knew the difference from bumping and a touch. Because the touch had engaged faith attached to it. All those people want clamoring to get to Jesus, but the reasons weren't the same as this woman. She was engaging her faith. If I can touch the edge of his garment, I am going to be healed. If we can say, if I can touch the hem of his garment, he will heal my emotions. If I can touch the edge of his garment, he will heal my body. If I can touch the edge of his garment, he will... You fill in the blank. I don't know what you're going through. But I know that if we can touch the hem of his garment, he will touch us. Verse 45b says, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, again, but someone touched me. Like Jesus, like, dude, I'm telling you, Peter, it was a touch. I'm not talking about all these people. I'm talking about virtue left me. 
instantaneously. Instantaneously. I love that song. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know. He touched me and made me whole. He touched me. And Jesus knew that someone touched him because he said it. I know that power has gone out from me. I want to be the kind of girl that Jesus says, oh, that's Lisa touching me again. Just felt virtue go. Oh, yeah, Lisa must be back in her prayer closet because I can feel my power dissipating right to her. I want to be that girl that Jesus knows, oh, yep, she's back at it. That power's leaving me. I want you to be those women. That's that God, oh, Tara, yeah, some power just left me. Pastor Maureen, well, I don't know if Jesus will call you Pastor Maureen, but we'll call you Pastor Maureen. <laughs> Maureen, she must have touched me. Virtue just left me. It's just a matter of engaging our faith. And then the touch is there. He is ready. He is willing. He is able. And he will say, who touched me? And I believe he already knew because Jesus is God, and God knew. God saw her, and she reached out, and Jesus healed her, and then Jesus saw her. It's just, it's just all so, I just love this story. Go home and read it again and again and again until you really get this in your spirit, touching Jesus. No matter how dangerous, if she could only touch him, she would be healed. And it was dangerous. She was not supposed to be there. She was considered unclean according to Jewish law. She should not have been out in those crowds of people. She could have gotten in some trouble, but she didn't care. She did not care about the danger. Now, I'm not saying, you know, go stand in the middle of the road where it's dangerous and cry out to God, but I am saying put aside fears. Put aside what ifs. Put aside all the things that are constantly coming at us and excuse, they're really excuses, my friends. They're just really excuses. If we want to believe in the power of God, just step out in faith and believe it. Just believe it. We sang it. God said it. I believe it. He's going to do it. And he's going to do it in other people's lives. If, even if you don't believe that he can do it in your life, he'll do it in somebody else's life because God is God. And whether we believe it or not, he is all powerful and he can do the miraculous in our lives. Some people are motivated by a desperate situation. A famous paratrooper was speaking to a group of young recruits. When he had finished his prepared talk and called for questions, one young fellow raised his hand and said, what made you decide to make your first jump? The paratrooper's answer was quick and to the point. An airplane at 20,000 feet with three dead engines. I was desperate. Now, we're not in an airplane at 20,000 feet with three dead engines, but we are in some situations that if we don't engage our faith and allow God to work in our lives, it's going to be another 12 years, and then another 12 years, or seven, or five, or three, or 10, or 20, whatever it is your situation is. It's going to keep going on and on and on. We have to engage our faith. I'm learning to do that more and more. I'm learning to, to believe in the miraculous more and more. You have heard us say before at this conference, don't go by what you see. Take your eyes off what you see. I think we need to put these masks over our eyes. <laughs> Woo! Stop looking at what you see. 
We have to engage our faith and put our eyes on God. Remember the great things that he's done before and remember the great, th and think about the great things that he's promised to do. Don't go by what you see. I don't know about you. I'll just speak for myself. But if I only went by what I saw, I can assure you I would not be standing here today. I would probably not even be in this church. I don't know where I would be. But I've learned, get your eyes off what you see. You gotta do it, girls. I'm telling you from experience, get your eyes off this and put them on God. Where does my help come from? It comes from God. We need each other, but ultimately we need God. Put your eyes on God. And now comes the disclosure. In verse 47, the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She knows that he knows now. Oh boy. She can't escape. What is going to happen to her? She's already been healed. She's got her healing. That's what she came for, and she got it, so she's healed. But now what's going to happen? What will he do? What will the crowd do? What will people think? What are they going to say? Are they going to trample me? Are they going to stone me? Are they going to ridicule me? See, she didn't care about any of that. She got there, and she was just trying to quietly get, get back home. She was healed. Let me just get out of here before I get in trouble. But she couldn't escape. Jesus called her back. He, God saw her. Jesus felt her. Jesus healed her. And then Jesus saw her. He called her back. Here's the disclosure. Here's the possibility that she's going to be punished. Here it comes. What, what's going to happen? But what does she do? She turns back around, and she told him everything. In the presence of all the people, the word says... She told him why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She had been in a constant existence of pain, being an outcast. But Jesus meets her right here and does the exact opposite of what she's expecting. Instead of being repulsed and disgusted, because I want to tell you, you can never do anything, anything that will so repulse and discuss Jesus that he will not answer your cry for help. Nothing, absolutely nothing can you do that will disgust him for him to turn away from you. Whatever you've done, say, Jesus, forgive me, I need help, I need healing. And he, what does he do? Turns right towards you. And he begins that work in you. There is nothing that any of us could ever do that makes Jesus turn away from us. She needed to be in that crowd. She needed to be reaching out to Jesus to touch him in order for her healing to be public. And Jesus knew that. He had to publicly show that her scorn had been removed and that she was no longer unclean. That there was no superstition that there would be no, no uh, uh, room for anybody to say, well, that wasn't really Jesus. That had to be, somebody must have come up behind her and be rid of thy flux. 
Somebody must have mixed some herbs, and she's not telling us. This is a scam. This isn't Jesus. No. Jesus could have let her go quietly, but I believe Jesus wanted it to be public so that the people knew that it was Jesus, not only that it was Jesus that healed her, but that her scorn had been removed. She is no longer unclean. She is no longer a disgust to society. She can be out in the open now. She can be with people. She can be with her family. She can go to the temple. She can go to the Sabbath. She has been made whole and made clean. And the way that that had to happen was for Jesus to call her back and for the public people in public to see what had happened. And then the last thing I want to point out, he called her daughter. Love this. Verse 48, then he said to her, daughter, he could have just said, lady, woman, Lisa, but he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus called her daughter. We all long to hear that from God. We long to hear Jesus say, you are my daughter. And I want to tell you, he's saying it, but you need to open your ears so that you can hear him saying it. You need to open your heart so you can sense him saying it. He is calling you. He is calling me daughter. He called her daughter. No lecture. No criticism. No pointing out the scripture. Okay, I healed you, but I just want to show you right here that you shouldn't have been here. I mean, you're going to keep your healing, but really, technically, it shouldn't have been done this way. You could, you know, like, this isn't right. Jesus didn't do it. He does not care about protocol. Like, honestly, he doesn't care about protocol. He sees desperation. He sees someone reaching for a touch, and he's going to give it to them. Forget the protocol. And then what does he say to her? What does he say healed her? Your faith. You could, just, you could just stay there for a really long time and think about that. Your faith. Because I think, well, it wasn't her faith, it was Jesus' power. Well, it was Jesus' power. But Jesus' power can't be released when there's no faith. Somebody had to have faith. There had to be faith. There had to be something engaged. There had to be uh, a demand on the anointing. There had to be something that was yearning in her that, that believed, that knew, that had faith, and that was reaching out to him. That's the difference. Somebody touched me. Because he felt that faith. And he wanted it known publicly. And he said, go in peace. Oh, it was you? Oh, daughter. So glad. Nice to meet you. Now go in peace. Go in peace. No lectures. Nothing. No reminders. Nothing. Just, you know, we come to Jesus and, and, and we, we think, you know, I feel so bad coming to, you know, if I come to God and I tell him this, listen, he already knows it anyway. He knows everything we've done, everything we're going to do. He knows. So bring it to him. We have to confess it. We have to confess our sin and we have to confess our lack of faith, our unbelief. You know, sometimes we sing songs and, and we're just singing them. You know, we're just you know, from beauty, you know, from ashes to beauty and, you know, whatever we're singing and they're wonderful songs and our heart is like thinking about, I forgot to buy garlic at the market today and, you know, can I get to sleep in tomorrow? You know, it's like Friday, but Monday's coming. It's like all these negative thoughts come in our minds. Just stop it. Think about what we're singing. 
I mean, the lyrics are even up there all the time for crying out loud. Look at them. Get them in your heart. Open your heart to God and, and, and allow that worship. The worship's in there because I, I, here's a newsflash. We are created to worship and praise. You think God just created us like, oh, I'm going to create people. He created people to be in fellowship with him and to tell him how awesome he is. He loves it. You know, he hears enough garbage all day long, blaspheming and swearing and garbage and junk and, and, and all the stuff that he hears. So when he hears worship, he's like, love, love. They're loving me. They're praising me. They're worshiping me. Wait a minute. They're saying, even though the battle hasn't been won yet. Even though I'm still suffering, I'm, I'm going to worship God anyway. Jesus is so happy when he hears that. When he hears that praise and when he hears that worship, it touches the heart of God. And then Jesus is off to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. Okay, see you later. You're healed. All right, that's you. Okay, she's healed. So scorn's gone. Okay, I got to go heal, you know. And then they came and said, she's dead. And he said, are you kidding me? I'm on my way to get there. She's not dead. People thought he was crazy, but Jesus, of course, wasn't crazy. Jesus knows everything, and he knew when he got there. We know the rest of the story. Get up. You know, she's, don't, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And he, and she was, there she was. He healed her. Even though he healed this woman, he still had more healing. He didn't have to go recharge himself. You know, he didn't have to go to a charging place. Our phones die all the time. Oh, my battery's on. I mean, my flashlight's on. Boy, my battery's probably dead now. I gotta go recharge it. Jesus doesn't have to recharge his, his healing power. He can go from one to the next to the next to the next. He could heal everybody in this room tonight from all of the things that we're being faced with. All he's asking us to do is engage our faith. You at home, you're watching in your living room. Maybe you're laying in your bed, you're sick. Engage your faith. God can visit you right where you are. The healing power of God right now can touch you right where you are, your emotions your physical man, your mental man. God wants to heal and help us with those things. Never runs out of power. So again, I want to ask you, bringing this to a close, how desperate are you? How desperate are you? It's Friday. Many of you have worked all week. I get it. But how desperate are you? In a minute, we're going to come back to sing and worship. I'm going to sing a song for you in a minute first, and then we're going to say, okay, how desperate am I to spend some time with God mulling this message over? See, we don't just give messages, you know, whether it's your pastor on Sunday, me today, Marianne tomorrow. It's not just this message. Okay, you've heard it now, you know, like go live your life. No, take it and mull it over. You try God at his word. I'm going to do that. I want you to take, you go home and you read this scripture again, again and again and again, and let it get in your heart and get in your spirit. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? How desperate are you? What are you willing to turn off on the TV? There's a, a, a series of a show that I found quite good and then recently, the opening scene, I'm not even going to say what it is. It just was a really disgusting scene. And I said to my husband, mm, I'm going to cancel that series recording. I am not lending my one person. I don't care if it's only one person. I'm one person, and I have a choice to make. I'm not going to add to the ratings. 
They never had those kind of scenes in this particular show, and it opened up the show. I was in shock, and I canceled the recording. How desperate am I? How desperate are we to shut something off, to shut something out, to separate from someone or something or, so, or whatever? How desperate are we? Because we can all stay in that safe place. Well, it was only one episode. You know, maybe it's going to get better. I don't need that in my life, ladies. You don't need some of them. They're crowding. They're, 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 they're sabotaging what God wants to do. They're corrupting our thoughts. We don't need that. There might come a day when we got to just shut that TV off because honestly, there's really not too much of these days to watch. Thank God they're coming out with more Christian movies, good, wholesome movies. But how desperate are we? Well, you know, there's places that I like to go and they make me feel good and I like to do certain things and how desperate are you to maybe let some of those things go? And that's where Jesus comes in and the Holy Spirit comes in. Not me. I can't tell you what to do. I'm not in all of your lives. I don't know what you're doing and watching and going and listening to and whatever. Jesus does. The Holy Spirit does. And if we open our ears, he'll begin to convict and show and speak to us. You're not going unnoticed. You are not going unnoticed. Even if he's on his way to raise it. He was on his way to heal somebody. He could have just said, I don't have time for this. I got to go. He always will take time for you. Always. But are we desperate enough to take time for Jesus? So I want you tonight, I'm going to go sing a song, and the worship team's going to get ready to come back. And as I'm singing, and we're going to open up these altars, I want you to think about whether or not you feel desperate enough. I want you to think about maybe some things that are keeping you from going all out with Jesus. I mean all out. We li we're living in the last days, my friends. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I'm not saying Jesus is coming tomorrow. He could come right now. He could come in 10 years. I don't know. But there's some last days things happening. There's some stuff going on that we need to be ready for Jesus to come back. I don't want to be sitting in this church. When he comes back, I want to go up with him. And I want all of you to go up with him. So first of all, we need to know Jesus as our Savior being surrendered to him. My life is surrendered to Jesus and I don't want to look back because like, like Jesus said to the disciples, some disciples, when Jesus was teaching, some of the sayings were too hard and so some of the people left. Yeah, I cannot follow this Jesus and Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, are you two going to go? And one of them said, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go outside of Jesus? So I want you to ask yourself, that question tonight. What is keeping you from getting desperate? Fear? This has been a year of fear for many people, and it still is. I believe with all my heart, Jesus wants to set people free from fear. Wearing a mask does not make us fearful. Living in fear makes us fearful. Wearing a mask because we need to is just something that we need to do, and hopefully very soon we won't. But you can still make a choice behind a mask to live in fear or not. Insecurities. I'm afraid to step out of my comfort zone. Doubts. I don't really know if God can really do what he says. Disappointments. Keeping you from getting desperate. I'm not putting my heart out there again. Failures. Failures. 
I failed Jesus too many times. He would never take me back. Lie from the devil. He will take you back every single time. Compromise. Not ready to get desperate because I'm not ready to give up some things. And you fill in the blanks on what those things are. I just want to live for myself. I don't want this God thing. Too many restrictions. Listen, when I hear that from people, there's too many restrictions, there's too many things I need to give up. You have no clue all the things that you gain when you give your life completely to Jesus Christ. You will not care about the things that you will need to give up because the Holy Spirit will speak to you. In time, will say, when I get to heaven, I got a lot of questions. You are not going to ask one question when you get to heaven. You're going to be like, glory to God. Here's my crown. Lay, lay it at his feet. You don't care. There's no questions that you're going to ask. They're all answered. So there's no question mark. So it's like the same thing now. All these things I got to give up. No, just surrender to God. And all those things won't matter anymore. You will see. But you've got to step out in faith. You have to engage your faith. So Tara, why don't you girls come back up? I'm going to go and sing. As I'm singing, I just encourage you. You can make a place of an altar right at your chair. You can come to this platform. You can sit in your seat if you feel that is a true way to surrender. Some, some people may have physical challenges that may keep them from kneeling. But I would encourage you, if at all possible, there's a song we sing, that's what this altar is for. Come and press in to God tonight and, and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Maybe you're not even aware, but ask the Holy Spirit to show you. What am I allowing to keep me from being desperate for God, okay? Feel free to come anytime you feel around these altars. <clears throat> I've been ostracized for 12 years. I'm used to being alone. Spent everything I had and now it's gone. I'm used to being put down. My issues tell it all. My only hope is anchored in this fall. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'd be made whole if I could just press my way through this madness his love would heal my soul if only one touch so many people call him how could he ever know that just the brush of him would 
stop the flow if he knew would he rebuke me or shame me to the crowd well I'm desperate cause it's never or it's now if I could just touch the hem of his garment I know I'd be made whole if I could just press my way through this madness his love would heal my soul and then suddenly he turned around he said somebody has unleashed my well, frightened and embarrassed, I bowed. You see, I told him of my troubles and how. how, how, how. Ah.